tú me pones un éxito. Si, si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. My name is Jules Duget, owner and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker Movement. Before we get started on our show, I want to remind everyone that this plight was created for anyone and everyone who's ever felt that they've been boxed in, that they've been cornered, or told that they cannot. Our plight is for anyone and everyone who wants to be heard. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's show, we titled The Odyssey of the Spirit. We have a great author, editor, and just an overall extraordinary man. Mr. Carlin Maddox reported for the St. Petersburg Times before publishing his own regional magazine. His 50-year-old wife, Martha, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 1997 while their children were still in high school and in college. Mr. Maddox is the author of a great book, A Path Revealed, How Hope, Love, and Joy Found Us Deep in the Maze Called Alzheimer's. In the book, he describes his 17-year odyssey of caring for his wife, all while continuing to run his magazine and trying to keep their family whole. It is an honor to have him here today because he's a sought author, speaker, blogger, and just a great overall man. Since I met him, I've just been honored. Every conversation that I've had with him, I'm touched by his story and by his ethic and spirituality. I present to you, Mr. Carlin Maddox. Welcome, Mr. Maddox. Hi, Jews. Let's call me Carlin, all right? And we'll Got keep it. this as casual as possible here. It's a, it's a real honor to be here and talking with you as well as with folks who are listening in, your audience. Colin, can you please tell us how were you drawn into this work of Alzheimer's? Well, it was it was a it was no, nothing voluntary. I assure you that, Jews. The um, in 1997, my wife was di diagnosed at age 50 with early onset Alzheimer's. I had uh, never heard of it, or if I'd heard of it, I hadn't paid any attention to what Alzheimer's was. Uh, this was a very young age to be uh, diagnosed with such a disease. And um, when we got this diagnosis in September of 1997, uh, our world wasn't turned upside down, it just imploded before us. Martha had been very active in our community uh, been on the St. Petersburg City Council here in Florida. Mm -hmm. She uh, was a civic activist and, um, and was just a very energetic person. And uh, when we got this news, we just didn't know where to turn or what to do or where to go. And um, the doctor was helpful in the sense of just for medical issues, which we tried to follow those. But um, it, the word that we got was this was an incurable disease. And as far as I, I've, I've kept up with it uh, through these 25 years now, 
and um, we're not much closer to curing this disease than we were back in 1997. And I, I consider 1997 uh, being in the dark ages, even, even though uh, this disease was named and discovered back in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. a little over 100 years ago. Uh, it, it, it still just has not been much progress made in, in terms of trying to um, resolve the issues that come with it. And um, it just it just affects a lot of people across the board uh, in, a, in a variety of ways. I mean, one person who has Alzheimer's is not uh, uh, dealing with the same issues as another person who has Alzheimer's. So mm-hmm. that's a brief background on how we were forced into uh, this whole framework, this uh, matrix, if you will, of Alzheimer's disease. You know, one of the things when you and I first met, um, we talked about the non-boundaries that exist with this disease. You could be 30, 40, 50. Was there anything during your research that was able to pinpoint that age was a factor or not? Uh, to, in one word, no. I um, uh, one, one of the things that uh, we were told is that there is a certain gene people have that that does not uh, indicate that they will get Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but uh, their their likelihood is increased if they have this disease, this gene. Uh, and when Martha went through the testing. Uh, it came out that she did not have the gene. Mm. Uh, so I, I still don't know why this happened. Um, it turns out that after she was diagnosed with this at this early age, that a, an uncle of hers, her mother's brother, who was obviously considerably older, uh, developed the disease. So th- there may be something going on there, but... Uh, Nothing that I've been able to see. I mean, there's just there's just such a wide variety of factors here, Jews, that mm-hmm. the medical community has gone down one path and another path and another path. And mm-hmm. we we went up um, Martha right after she was diagnosed. The neurologist asked if we would want to try an experimental drug uh, mm-hmm. that was out there, and, and didn't know that whether she was going to be. Um, getting the actual med or whether uh, it would it, or not. But so we said, sure, we'll try anything. But after about three months, it came back that um, this, med, this med that we were, this experimental med uh, was ineffective. And that's gone on and on and on and on with a lot of different, a lot of different people. I'd like uh, to yeah, unpack uh, further again about how, you know, your discoveries and research, but I was touched by your story. Um, if you could take us back, you and your wife go to a regular checkup, nothing of the sort was noted that there was a problem of this magnitude. Can you take us through those moments when you walked in and you and your wife uh, met the doctor? Well, uh, we need to back up from that a bit. When, um, a year before Martha was diagnosed in 1996, 
uh, she had she had been on the St. Petersburg City Council in the mid to late 80s. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 1996, Martha was running for an open seat in the Florida State Legislature. And um, I hadn't noticed anything going on particularly until there was um, there was an event that um, all the four candidates who were running for that seat attended this event and it was the most significant and most important event of the whole race, the whole campaign. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was called the Tiger Bay Club down here. And uh, Martha, had, I had seen Martha in those situations before when she was on the count, city council. And she always held though, uh, just been able to deal with those situations coolly, calmly, answer the questions, uh, what's next? Yeah, let, let's and, and deal with it. And she was very knowledgeable about her responses. In, in this case, every question that was asked of Martha, she had to ask for it to be repeated. And then when she gave a response, uh, it was not, uh, her, her answers were about 10 or 15 degrees off, Jules. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make sense to me. We got home and I said, Martha, what was going on up there? I mean, just, it didn't, there was something just was not squaring here, not, not, com not coming through. And she says, what are you talking about, Carla? And I thought it went well. And I, and I just, I took a double take. I didn't know what. Uh, so from that point in, in July of, um, it was in uh, September of 96 to about July, I and our children, our three children, began to notice Martha just being more forgetful. Uh, she was forgetting names more, mm -hmm. forgetting appointments. And if you're in politics or anything of the like, uh, you can't forget names and you can't forget appointments. Mm -hmm. And so I um, said, Martha, uh, we just need to get into a doctor just, just to have a general uh, checkup here and, and, and go through uh, to see if, what, if we can narrow down anything. And so Martha went into this neurologist's office that we had scheduled an appointment with mm -hmm. in July of 97. And um, when I got home from work that night and Martha was there, I asked her how the appointment went. And Martha said, well, he was, he was taking too long to see me. So I just left. Mm. I said, oh, good grief. And, um, so we rescheduled and went in in early 90s, early September of 97. And I went with her this time. And then they put Martha through a series of tests. This doctor did. Mm. Um, and, um, and then it was three weeks later that we got the results back mm. that it was, uh, in all likelihood, early onset Alzheimer's. Now, early onset, me and they call it younger onset. Now, means some you're, anybody who diagnosed with this under the age of sixty-five, mm -hmm. and um, so that's those were some of the signs that I was seeing or beginning to see leading up to what I didn't know until we got some, some something specific specific here. Um, we may want to talk a little bit about the magnitude of this disease in this, in the country here mm -hmm. in the United States, 
Um, the, the most recent figures I've seen Jews is that there's between six and six and a half million people who've been diagnosed with that. Mm-hmm. And the literature I've seen says that also means there's a good number of people beyond that mm-hmm. who have Alzheimer's, but have not been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the age of 65 are about three to 400,000 people today. Uh, out of that uh, six and a half million. And, but when you start um, looking at the family caregivers who are directly involved in taking care of a person with Alzheimer's, uh, suddenly you're going from six and a half million to about 20 to 25 million people totally being directly affected by this they don't all have the disease, but they're being directly affected by the impact. And if if anybody who is aware of Alzheimer's, you you know as well as I do, it, this is a very volatile disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, emotions just change right on right on a on a dime. Um, you have a conversation, and suddenly the conversation is not making any sense. Uh, suddenly, uh, after a period of time, memory gets disappears. And my in my wife's case, uh, she began to lose her ability to talk about uh, three to four years into this, mm-hmm. and then other other progressive kinds of issues uh, as we went along. As, and as you mentioned earlier, that uh, we went through this in uh, for seventeen years, and. Um, uh, and she, Martha died died in uh, June of 2014, uh, 17 years, almost 17 years after she was diagnosed. Well, thank you so much for for you know sharing your story and being transparent, helping our listeners, helping our community members understand that in mental health it is not linear. And you mentioned that the caregivers become impacted and that is a serious issue there was a point in early in the book that i read that that noted that the doctor you guys were used to seeing was not available and the person who gave you the news was pretty stiff if you will <laughs> yeah, you he, know, uh, and, and, and that's the part about this he was he was not a uh, he was a neurologist Mm-hmm. But he was not the neurologist that was ours. He was a partner in the firm, and uh, he could have he could have uh, passed for Mister Spock Jesus. in Star Trek, all cerebral, mm-hmm. no emotional capability. He called us into his office. He was sitting behind this uh, behind this big desk. It must have been nine feet wide and six feet deep. It seemed like, and just very coldly says it appears that you have early onset Alzheimer's. Then he began to go into all this technical stuff that I, mm. I, I, could, I didn't give a flip about. I That's just, right. I, I wanted to get out of there as quick as we could. And we did. And, uh, well, for our listeners um, who are impacted or, or who need information, please contact the Alzheimer's Association, 1-800-272-3900, one 800 272 3900. Carlin, can you tell us about the work that you've done with the Alzheimer's Association? I know you're a writer, a blogger for them. What, what, what are some of that? Yeah, 
I, ha I haven't done any work specifically with the Alzheimer's Association, um, um, but uh, I, people who I've talked with, I, I refer them to their a local local to their local association, wherever it may be. The number you gave, I presume, is a national number, Correct. and they can then refer to a local association. The thing that I've discovered about the uh, national the National Association and the local association is that from our time back 25 years ago to now, they've really improved in terms of setting up support groups, mm. helping uh, helping the caregiver and the uh, and and the patient uh, get uh, resources that they need uh, and the like, and. Um, when I asked our neurologist uh, when uh, Martha was diagnosed, if there was a support group, and he said, yes, he knew of one, but he just didn't recommend it. He said the spouses in those support groups uh, were so far along that it would probably just depress me completely mm -hmm. and wouldn't, wouldn't be of any help. But there's a much more a wide variety of support groups available today either through the uh, Alzheimer's Association or through other groups here in St. Petersburg, mm -hmm. a local hospital has a very strong network of support groups and, and, and people tie in there. So you, you have to do some research and asking around, uh, but uh, there's a lot more, lot more resources available. Uh, there's a lot more caregiver guidebooks available to Jews mm -hmm. out on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you want to find one. Mm -hmm. There just weren't many when I began looking. I mean, I'm, I must have read, I don't know, 100, 200 books looking for answers, looking for how to deal with this. Um, mm -hmm. Not all of them related to Alzheimer's, but also relating to stress and whatever, because I very definitely felt, felt like stress had had an impact on, uh, on our situation with my uh, being the owner of an of a entrepreneurial magazine and my wife being in politics. You couldn't find things much more stressful than those situations and having three kids at home and, and just keeping, uh, every, keeping everything moving forward. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the, it, there's just a lot more resource available today for somebody uh, to go to. And you, you mentioned my blog. Uh, that is located at www.carlinmaddox. My name is spelled on the screen there. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you can go there. And I, I've got, um, I've had a blog going since 2015, a year before my book came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the, there's a lot of resources and information available on that as well. Before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, as a journalist and editor, and you're trying to keep this business afloat, but now you're hit with this news. Tell me about the deep maze of Alzheimer's and you're using your skills to navigate. Well, as you know, a maze, uh, you, you can get lost in a maze mm -hmm. and you don't always know where the path is. And um, Martha and I went, uh, using a different metaphor, we went down a lot of rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I went down a lot of rabbit holes looking for answers. And um, there was, uh, and, and I was coming back empty handed, just not finding any rabbit holes. I mean, not finding any solutions down these paths. Mm -hmm. um, I began to understand this, uh, Jews, that even though Alzheimer's is a physical disease, there's a lot more involved than just the physicality of it. There's the emotional aspect, and, and this is not just with the patient, but also with the caregiver. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of an, an emotional frustration. There's a lot of uh, psychological issues, uh, and there are a lot of spiritual issues involved here. And, and so my attention began to broaden from just finding a physical uh, cure, a physical answer to getting into a broader spiritual approach, if you will, in terms of how, how, how do I survive while I'm helping my wife survive? And that is, that becomes a, uh, a mantra for caregivers after a while. You've got to take care of yourself in order to take care of your loved one. And you've got to figure out how to take care of yourself, physical exercise, um, and the like, um, the, you talk about in terms of mental issues, one of the problems still today with mental issues, and it was very much with Alzheimer's is the stigma that's attached to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw a number of Martha's friends, not, a, not everybody, but I saw a number of Martha's friends who just sort of faded away. And they didn't fade away because they, I don't know if they were scared or if they, they just didn't know how to deal with somebody who was showing the kinds of um, uh, symptoms that Martha was beginning to show as we went forward uh, with, this, with this disease. Uh, so that, that is just a hint, uh, I, I guess, in response to your question, mm -hmm. um, but it's very confusing. Uh, you, 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 uh, I, the, the number of times I came up frustrated and at the point of depression and if not depressed about how do we get through this? How are we going to get through this? How, how am I going to keep all the balls up in the air that need to be uh, moving and the like? And, uh, somehow we were able to get through that. There's the areas of confusement for, for everyone, because, some people hear dementia, some others hear Alzheimer's, and in dementia, you know, it gets worse with time. Alzheimer's directly affects the brain and, and your ability to kind of do certain things. I know that for self-care, you well, mentioned can something. I, can, I, can, I just say, can I just say this? Sure. Dementia is the broad category, Jews. Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's is probably the major category within the broad category of dementia mm -hmm. uh, and it, it takes on different forms and whatever else, but it is a form of dementia. Yes. Correct. When we talk about your self-care in your, in your self-care tools, you talked about exercising and taking walks and meditating became a big part in spirituality. Can you, can you tell us about how you got drawn into that work to kind of help yourself and yeah. your family through this? 
Glad, glad to. Um, the day of Martha's diagnosis, uh, we got home and we had a long, hard cry. And um, after, we, after we stopped crying, Martha looked at me and she said, I do not want to tell a soul. I don't want to tell our children. I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want to tell my brothers. And I certainly don't want to tell our friends. And that sort of narrowed the scope that it was just going to be Martha and me who, who knew this, but that was not going to stay that way forever. Mm -hmm. um, but there was one person that Martha was willing to talk to. And that was a man by the name of Lacey Harwell. Lacey Harwell was a retired minister here in St. Petersburg. He and Martha had been friends before we got married. Um, and he did marry us and baptized a couple of our kids. And, and Lacey was uh, about 6'4 and weighed 250 pounds, a big guy. Mm -hmm. And um, I called, so I called, she, she said, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to Lacey. And so I called Lacey and he came over the next day. And we told Lacey what we were, what the news that we got. And so the three of us had another cry. Mm -hmm. And then he motioned me away from Martha. Martha and I were sitting on the couch together, Lacey in a chair. And he sat down beside Martha, put his arm around her. And uh, at some point he said, you know, uh, I have a friend up in Kentucky at uh, a, a community, the Sisters of Loretta, a Catholic community, mm -hmm. uh, who uh, this sister Elaine, who was a friend of his, he, is, he says, I've, I've sent a number of friends in crisis to her to just help them get a grip on what to do with their crisis. He says, I don't know what would come of if you went to visit her. I don't know what would come out of it, but I suspect it would be very meaningful for you. And so uh, three or four weeks after, uh, after Lacey told us about Sister Elaine, um, Martha and I went up and had a week's visit with her uh, uh, just south of Louisville, but about 50 miles south of Louisville. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a, it was a wonderful visit. And at, at some point uh, to, at, towards the end of the week, all she said was, you may want to check out, check into meditation, check out meditation. And that's all she said. And I, I'd, I'd never practiced meditation. I'd heard about the, uh, the Beatles coming back from India and having their guru and whatever else. And, but that, that wasn't connecting with me too much. We got back and we just brought Lacey up to date um, on our visit with Sister Elaine. And uh, to my surprise, when I asked him, I said, do you know anything about meditation? And he, he pointed us to a Benedictine uh, monk by the name of um, Father John Main, M-A-I-N, mm -hmm. and a book of his called Word into Silence. And he said, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but uh, I find this man to be very simple and authoritative in his approach. Not simplistic, but very simple and understandable. And so uh, I bought his book, Word in the Silence, and began to read that. And then Martha and I began to practice meditation, rep repeating a word uh, that we'd chosen to use um, mm -hmm. 
for about 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. And what we would do is I would sit, we would sit side by side and I would hold Martha's hand and then I would quietly repeat this word, not knowing whether she was going to be able to repeat it herself or not. So I just quietly repeated this word. And I don't know how long it was, Jews, um, but it was seemed like a fairly short time that I began to sense Martha's uh, anxiety level just come way down, mm. just it began to almost diminish. And my anxiety level began to just diminish. There was nothing instant here, nothing, nothing happened in one time that we ever did this, but just over a period of time, our anxiety levels began to just uh, diminish. They didn't disappear, but we still were worried and whatever else, but it just we were able to think much more clearly and uh, to respond to situations much more clearly. Mm -hmm. And it certainly helped me in terms of my response to Martha whenever she did some things that were just very off-putting, didn't make any sense. So that's how, that's how I got into it. And I'm still practicing this today, 25 years later, and um, find it just very helpful. One of, the, one of the places that was also very helpful, um, it, it was in 2008. Um, that would be uh, a little over a decade after Martha was diagnosed, 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to move Martha into um, a member care unit facility uh, where she was going to be living there and be taken care of by others because it was just beyond my capacity or uh, a caregiver at home's capacity to be able to take care of her. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that was one of the hardest decisions that I had to make. And um, but I would go in and visit Martha five or six days a week, and uh, I would often would find Martha uh, curled up uh, in her chair or in her bed uh, with an arm uh, behind her neck, mm -hmm. and just felt anxiety exuding from her. And I would sit down beside her and put my hand in hers again and repeat our word that we'd been practicing years earlier. Mm. And, and Martha began to relax. Her, her body began to unfold and she either went to sleep or she looked out the window or looked at me, but she was just much more rested after 15 or 20 minutes of doing this. And, and that, was, that was just extremely, extremely helpful to just see Martha just become much more of a relaxed person. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, so powerful. It's uh, very difficult to see a loved one struggle and it's even harder to make a choice with them and for them to have them, you know, move to a hospital or to a place that's not home. And um, I can't imagine how hard that was for you and for your family. So we, we applaud any families who are struggling with this to just stay together, to find ways. And thank you for sharing that, you know, that spirituality and that meditation really helped mm -hmm. you guys work along this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to ask for, for like our listeners, if they have a family member, if they have a friend struggling early on with this, what, what are you recommending just early on? 
Well, early on, pay close attention to your doctor, uh, and hopefully a neurologist in terms of just the steps to take there. I would tell you to um, also uh, try to find a support group that you feel comfortable in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would tell you to go on Amazon or some other, or go to a bookstore and look up caregiver guidebooks that would help you, mm-hmm. uh, that you find uh, meaningful and, and pretty simple to understand, clear, because you're going to be very confused on a lot of fronts. And so you, you, the watchword here is, is simplicity and, author- and uh, authoritative. Mm-hmm. that makes sense to you. Um, I would tell you to include as many people in your family as possible as a support group around you. If that's, if that's, if you're in a situation where that's possible. Um, also to um, include your friends, as many friends who would be willing to be in our case, go out to lunch with Martha. Mm-hmm. Uh, go take walks with Martha while I was having to be at work. Um, and just to be as inclusive as you possibly could. Um, there was a little tip that I heard. Um, I mean, Mar- Martha could, could get into some very embarrassing situations out in a public setting. And could get draw me into that embarrassing kind of a situation where she would go up to people and just jabber, jabber, jabber and and not make any sense. And people, what is this? Mm-hmm. A little tip that I heard, Jules, and it, it just I pass this along, is uh, I'd come across somebody who had made little business card size cards and says, thank you for appreciating my wife. Uh, she has Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And they would just, they carried those cards with them. And whenever an embarrassing situation came up, uh, that person would just very discreetly hand the card to that person and just change the atmosphere completely. That's just sort of a side tip, but that's, you you learn these things as as you go along. And I would love to have had that uh, card uh, early on in in our situation. Uh, another thing um, is to try to find one of the things that have been helpful to people uh, is if they if they're musically inclined or enjoy music to get them uh, to get them into musical situations whether you're playing music at home or dancing with them at home and Martha would love music and Martha loved to dance. Mm. Um, also to look into possible the possibility of art. Um, the, um, our sister-in-law came to Martha about two years after her diagnosis and said, Martha, I am, um, uh, I, I'm in a watercolor painting, getting into a watercolor painting class. And I would love for you to join me for this. And Martha had never done anything like this. She was, she was always, she loved tennis. She loved, she was very extrovert, um, highly energetic and never did sit long to just sit and, and 
paint. But because it was KK who was asking her, she, she got into this and did it. Mm. And um, some of the um, some of the paintings that Martha did were just magnificent. I have uh, one behind me here that you can't see the whole thing. Uh, see if I can get out of the way here. <laughs> I can't. No, and I can call but, them out because I was going to talk about it. Beautiful pieces. And um, and um, I call this her self portrait. Mm -hmm. uh, and Martha's uh, art teacher came to me one day and said, Carlin, I do not work, know where this coloration is coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, it is coming from somewhere. I cannot teach this. This is coming from somewhere deep within. And what this, what this did for Martha Jews was uh, right after her diagnosis, Martha, a very confident woman, her confidence just went through the floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, she just lost her confidence. This artwork helped restore her confidence. Her confidence just began to rise back again. And that was just a delight to see. Uh, and, uh, and she kept painting for about three years, maybe. And then that interest just began to fade away. But that was, that was a magnificent period. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to tell the listeners how much money you had to spend on these colors and all this, Carl. We'll, we're going to save them that. But... If you want to look at these beautiful pieces by Martha, please visit Carlin Maddox. That's C-A-R-L-E-N-M-A-D-D-U-X.com. There you will find Carlin's work. But these beautiful pieces created by Martha, her self-portrait, feeding the ducks, piano man, swimming in the deep green sea, somewhere over the rainbow, fruit in the abstract, etc. And to me, Carla, when you saw her like this, and she never was an artist, were you thinking like, why didn't I think of this? Or how did this happen? Or I mean, this whole thing, this, this whole odyssey was just filled with surprises, good surprises and tragic surprises. Mm -hmm. But this was, this was one of the great ones. Uh, if, if someone wants to check out the website that you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, go, go to the category about, and you will see there the category about, and that's where I've got Martha's pictures. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I gave up long ago Jews trying to say, why didn't I think of this first? Mm -hmm. That uh, wh wherever you can get help, wherever you can get support, just ask for it. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Ask for it. And, got a great uh, friend of mine, Jim Martinez, says it takes a village. And this is definitely one of these examples. This is something you can't tackle. Tell me about you and your kids. How were you able to juggle that throughout high school, college, and now having to deal with this head on? When, um, yeah, when Martha was diagnosed, uh, our son, David, was a senior in college. Our daughter, Rachel, was a freshman, mm -hmm. and our daughter, Catherine, was a uh, junior in high school. And um, as, as you remember, Martha did not want to tell them. Mm -hmm. um, Catherine was the one at home, so she was the one who was around a lot of the issues more, more so than uh, the others. Um, but Martha and I agreed um, 
about after we came back from seeing, visiting with Sister Elaine up in Kentucky, um, Martha and I agreed that we would tell the children. Um, and, um, and David and Rachel were not going to the same school in North Carolina, but they were in close proximity. So we went to where David's school was and, and, Mar and Rachel came over from Chapel Hill to visit with us that weekend that we were there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, um, um, when we agreed to tell Martha was good, she said, I don't want to be there when you tell them. So she went into the, into the bathroom in this, our motel room. And, uh, and so I told our children and, um, and Rachel particularly was quite upset because after, after Martha had gone in, gone to the doctor to see, try to find out what was going on. And when Rachel had called her earlier than this, uh, she, um, Martha had told her everything was okay. No, there were no problems. So this really, this really caught Rachel was blindsided. And, um, so that's, that's how we broke the news to Rachel and David, and then we broke the news to Catherine in terms of being able to specifically identify what uh, disease, what she was dealing with. But after, after David and Rachel graduated from college, both of them uh, had returned to the Tampa Bay area. David ended over in Tampa and uh, Rachel here in St. Pete. And one day, uh, Jews, um, they, they both, of, both of them came to me and said, Daddy, uh, we would like to give you a weekend a month off. Hmm. You go wherever you want to. And David and I, Rachel, the, the two of them would take care of Martha during the course of that weekend. One of them on one night and another one on another night, or however they worked it out. I said, really? You're willing to do that? And uh, so I took them up on it and I uh, went a weekend a month away to a nearby, as it was, to a nearby monastery. Mm -hmm. I went to this monastery, just I could get up there and vent. And I it was out in the middle of an orange orchard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I could just yell at the orange trees and go take walks and and, mm. and play and read and do whatever I needed to do and talk to the brothers there and and just get up with them and, and the like. And David and Rachel then just, they grew up real fast taking care of their mother because the roles were being reversed here in terms of um, having to take care of their mother who was not able to take care of herself. And that was probably the greatest gift that I received over the course of these um, those first decades, that first decade before Martha went into a, a, a member care facility. Um, so one of the other things that I would do is I almost immediately began keeping a journal, not because, I mean, in, in, in spiritual circles, they talk about journaling and whatever else. I didn't do it for that reason. I was having so much information come at me. I just had to have a place to put it and be able to refer to it. And so I just, just uh, kept a journal, uh, 17 volumes of this journal, ultimately. And I would, 
at, at appropriate spots, I would um, make copies of this and mail, mail them to David and Rachel while they were in college and let them see where my head was, what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Gave Catherine at home a copy of this. And then when Catherine went off to college and they came home, again, I just would continue to do that and we would have conversations as well. And these were issues as relating to caregiving, relating to uh, uh, spiritual insights, uh, insights on how to deal with, with Martha. Um, at one point, Rachel came to me after she had come home and she, she, she was almost in tears and, uh, and may, have, may have been in tears. And it says, Daddy, I just, Martha, mommy is just not responsive. I mean, it's just not. And I, and, and I said, Rachel, it's, you've got to learn to step into Martha's world. It, it's not that she's not in the same space as we are and you either can stay out in the space where we are or step into her space and not argue with her whenever she makes wrong statements or or says things that just don't, don't make sense but just acknowledge that and just go on and and typically martha would have already forgotten whatever she said or if martha was into a situation where she kept repeating the same thing over and over again. Uh, just, just, just don't let it get under your hide, under your skin. Yeah. You just got to learn to do that. Uh, there's, there's no way around it. And so those were some of the things that um, we went through as we were, um, I, I tried to communicate as, as best I could with the children, keeping them abreast of where I saw Martha, whenever we'd go to the neurologist and let them know what the neurologist was saying and just being trying to be as transparent as I could. What are things that people need to remember when they see a loved one's memory fade? And I think you shared a little bit there about stepping into the world and stepping, staying in your world. Are there other things that people can do when they're noticing this? Well, uh, as you mentioned sort of in our introduction, um, what, um, just what I learned in my first grade was very beneficial to me. Mm -hmm. And, and, and what anybody learns in the first grade is to, when they're coming, when they're walking on the sidewalk, coming to a road to stop, look and listen mm -hmm. as, as simplistic as that sounds, you just, I, I had to learn to just stop what I was doing try to pay attention to what Martha was trying to say or do as best I could. And, and then try to respond in a way that would make some sense to her. It may not make sense to me, but try to make some sense to her. And uh, th that, that would, that that was a, a a lesson well learned back from the first grade. <laughs> you know, just talking to you, Carlin. This is like three or four times we've already spoken. I am taken aback. I, I 
I plan to put your information up on my website so people can not only see your work and see the resources. Can you tell us a little bit about the book, A Path Revealed? Was that a product of journaling, a product of this is how I'm going to respond to this? Tell us how you took that journey. Um, one, one, one of the things when I was journaling, there were a couple of people, uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of retired ministers, one of them being Lacey and then another friend that I would send um, particular sections to or pages to. And both of them, who I had a deep respect for, just kept coming back at me and said, Carlin, um, you need to write a book. And this was all the way through the course while they were still alive. Um, but I, I, I just said, I, there's no way that I can write a book while I'm taking care of Martha. Um, so she, she died in 2014. And um, I said, okay, do I want to write a book? Um, and, and I said, well, I've got to, uh, I, I've got to go, I've got this journal that's 17 volumes of this journal. And, um, and I had not cracked it. I had not gone back and looked at it, Jules, mm -hmm. in all the time uh, through, the, through the course of our, other than making references back in terms of trying to remember something. So I hadn't, I hadn't uh, in six years probably uh, looked at it, and I said, "Okay, let's let's see if we can do this." And I I, I cracked open the journal, the opening pages, and I took a deep breath. I said, "Gee whiz, this is really raw. I I don't know if I can do this. I mean, it just brings back too much, too much." Somehow I got, a, I got past that and then began to develop our story uh, as it made sense to try to present it to other people, trying to be as credible as I could, um, uh, trying to not uh, whitewash anything that we were going through, while at the same time trying to offer um, a note of hope um, in terms of how to get through this, how to you as a caregiver not burn out because I'd read enough by that time to know that too far too many caregivers with dealing with this Alzheimer's disease that die before their spouses do. And uh, I didn't want to be in that statistic. Um, so how do I, how do I do this? And I, so I, I, be, I began to just develop the, the book as I knew how, as it made, as I began to see themes through my journal and, um, and, and, and develop it that way, as well as what was coming out of my memory from the whole time. Uh, it, it was, I guess, I, I guess I worked on this. Martha died in 2014 began to work on this um, within the six months after her death. The book came out in 2016. I, 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 I'd never written a book. And uh, I, I, as you noted, I uh, did, did have a journalistic background. So I tried to 
write it from that. Just a, this is what I saw. This is this is this is what uh, was was coming was happening as we went along the path here, and uh, and the surprises and the and the uh, epiphanies that I would have at time, the surprises I saw with Martha, like the art, uh, the hard stuff that I saw, like. Uh, there were three or four things that were just, I would call just the hardest through this whole 17 years. One, getting the news. Two, having to take Martha's car keys away from her. Mm. I felt like I had betrayed Martha. Uh, another time was um, I was downstairs fixing breakfast and um, I heard this thud upstairs and ran upstairs and Martha was curled up on the floor, just shivering all over and having just a full on seizure. And I had never seen anyone with a seizure. Mm. And, um, and uh, that, that really shook me up as well. And then the, I guess the other thing that was just the hardest was just having to move Martha into a memory care facility. So I had to deal with those kinds of issues while at the same time trying to write with, with a sense of hope, with a sense of how did we, how did I and how did our children sort of transcend this very tragic kind of thing. And um, interestingly, I was, I was um, intending to self-publish this and, um, and uh, by coincidence, um, uh, a, a, a group, a publishing group called Paraclete Press, which is Christian-oriented press, mm -hmm. uh, saw saw my work and they said we'd like to do this. I didn't go looking for them and whatever else, and um, uh, and uh, didn't get an agent. I, I felt very fortunate, very lucky in terms of being able to get someone to publish this besides myself, and so. The, that's it, it in a nutshell. It, it, Are um, you still writing today, Carlin? Uh, not a, not in book. I was writing my blog, and, um, mm -hmm. and and but I'm not writing nearly as much as I did. Yeah, I mean, I was coming out with a blog once a week. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm now it's probably once a month or so. I, I, I'm not sure I have anything more to say. Juice. <laughs> well, you know what. Uh, me and the audience and the world that's listening to you not only are touched by your story, by, by your resilience, by your armor, your ability to stand in the face of the hardest thing to the person closest to you in this world. It goes beyond saying in this show, you know, those are the he's just moments that we talk about when you're propelled into action and you, my friend, did not fold. Is there anything you want our listeners to think about when they're dealing with this or to remember you or to remember Martha? Can you tell us something? I, I think Martha and I both would have somebody, whether it's a crisis of Alzheimer's or whether it's some other serious crisis would um, just tell you and it, it can get to sound pretty cheap at times, but do take care of yourself. Find out what it is to take care of yourself, your emotions, your spirit, your mind, your body. Because 
you need to survive this. You need to get through this. You need to be drawn and, and stay attuned. There are people who came along in our path that I was not anticipating. They just showed up. They seemingly, but pay attention to them. Be attentive. We want to leave this show with these words. There are going to be moments that we're going to be pushed. There are going to be moments that we're going to be propelled into action. But just like Colin Maddox, there's a ton of people just like them out here who care about their family, who care about working in team settings. And like he said, don't do it alone. Remember, this platform was built because too often we were overlooked, we were labeled. But there are communities out there there are tough people ready to do the tough work and they're ready to join you in this work. We're honored to have you here, Colin. And we want to remind everyone, this plight is for anyone and everyone who's ever struggled. We're strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Look out for the He's Just a Social Worker show coming to another town near you, my friend. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, mom. Miss you so much. En memoria de mi madre, Matilde de la Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, mamá. Te extraño mucho.